just suddenly realize that God is good. And just say to yourself, God is good. Um, and then say to yourself, all the time. And then you say to yourself, and all the time. And then you say to yourself, and God is good. And then you realize that you're talking to yourself. Uh, and then you decide you don't care. Because you'd rather be talking to yourself about God than talking to anybody else about anything. Amen? Amen. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I thank you for the work that's... I just feel like we're still basking in the residual glow of your presence moving. And Lord, I, I pray that, that the shalom of God would rest in each of our hearts right now. Like, like it would wrap us up in a blanket of your peace and your love. <coughs> and, and Lord, I just, I ask that you would lift burdens. And, I, and Lord, I think that there are probably even people in here right now that, that are carrying burdens and they don't, they don't realize that it's, it just becomes so normal to them to live this way that they don't realize that they're carrying an extra weight. And Lord, I pray that right now you would touch each of those hearts, each of those lives, each of those bodies that where, where muscles are tense and, and where, <coughs> where muscle groups uh, and emotions are even to some degree just wound up tighter than the $2 watch and just ready to, to pop loose, Lord. And I, I pray that peace and rest and hope and comfort would move across this room now in Jesus' name. That fear would be lifted. That hope would be manifested. And that that confidence would return. That faith would return. I, right now in the name of Jesus, I, I say let faith arise. Let fear be scattered. Let faith arise. Let fear be scattered. And I pray, God, that every place else where we've been looking for help and hope and trying to get the angle, trying to get the angle to make something work out for us. <clears throat> I pray, Lord, that we would be delivered from, from looking for angles and that our eyes would be turned upon you. Turn our eyes upon you this morning, Lord. Let our eyes be focused on you. Let our hope be focused on you. Let, let our faith be focused on you. Let our confidence be focused on you. Let our peace be and our rest be focused on you. Let we surrender every other edge that we think we have and every other system we've figured out. God, we just want to rest in you. We thank you for the safety of this place as we pour our hearts out before you now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Are you familiar with this? <laughs> uh, <coughs> yeah, but it is Greek, as a matter of fact, it is. <coughs> um, does anybody want to try to read it? 
So I've got... <coughs> so, <coughs> well, I've got it. I've, I've got a translation for you. I was just going to give you a chance. Any, any takers? Oh, so, so, the, the, here's the, so here's the translation. No parking loading zone. 15-minute maximum. All other chariots will be towed at owner's expense. Maximum fine of 250 denarii by order of ruling council, Theodotus ruling elder. <laughs> no, you don't... <laughs> Well, so I, Greek was not my strong subject. I, I had to fill in a few. But I was, it was the best guess I could under the circumstances. This, this uh, was was this was found in a pile of rubble back in 1914, just south of uh, the Temple Mount in what's called the City of David. Uh, and somebody who's smarter than me gets their opinion about what this really says. And I don't know, let you be the judge. The Odotus, son of Vitinus, priest and synagogue leader, son of a synagogue leader, grandson of a synagogue leader, rebuilt this synagogue for the reading of the law and the teaching of the commandments and the hostelry, rooms, and baths for the lodging of those who have need from abroad. It was established by his forefathers, the elders and Simonides. Now, I don't know who you're going to believe, him or me, but <clears throat> so obviously there is a big <clears throat> there's a big long story behind this. The uh, when this was found, was considered by some Jewish scholars to be the most, one of the most important finds ever in the history of uh, biblical archaeology. <clears throat> because up until 1914, when this was discovered, there was a lot of debate about how many synagogues existed in Israel during what's called the Second Temple period. Second Temple period is anything from Nehemiah on to the time of the destruction of the temple. So <coughs> there are some historians of that day, uh, Josephus, for instance, the most his famous historian of the history of, of Judaism, who said that there are somewhere around 350 synagogues in and around Jerusalem the time that, that Jesus walked and later. So first of all, there, there was one temple where you went to worship. And by worship, that meant coming to offer your sacrifices. Worship for the Jews was offering sacrifices. And you could pray at the temple. You offered your sacrifices. There was one temple for that. But then there were synagogues where people met uh, on at least a weekly, sometimes a daily basis. And the synagogue was a place where you went to learn about the law. It was like Sunday school. 
It wasn't really church. There wasn't worship. There wasn't really worship going on. But you all went to hear the reading of the law and to listen to a scribe uh, or a rabbi expound on a portion of the scripture, and you debated the scripture. And <clears throat> and there were uh, the historical record says that there were lots of them, 350, but there wasn't any physical record of them until they found this inscription, which said, well, so we know that there must have been a lot of synagogues in Jerusalem because it's like every other word here is synagogue. <clears throat> and <clears throat> so uh, this went a long way to confirming the importance of the synagogue and Jerusalem in the, in the life of Jesus. Um, so, and this particular one, uh, which is evidently Theodosius's family helped build, uh, had a secondary function. Can you, do you recognize what it is? Yeah, it was uh, teaching the commandments, but then uh, a hostelry with rooms and baths, which was pretty cool. We stop and think about it back then. Rooms and baths for a particular clientele. Foreigners, for the lodging of those who have need from abroad. The thing you have to understand is that at this time, by this time in the history of Israel, probably more than half of, the, of all the, the Jews in the world live some other place besides Palestine. Uh, Israel had been invaded so many years, so many times over the preceding, preceding thousand years, and Jews were run out of Israel. They were carried off hostage. It's a whole thing called the, the diaspora, the dispersion of Jews across the world. There were Jews in Rome. There were Jews in, in Athens. There were Jews in Philippi. There were Jews in Antioch. There were Jews in Thessalonica. There were Jews all the way over to the Iberian Peninsula in Spain. There were Jews up towards uh, Britannia. There were Jews everywhere. And they, uh, they were under obligation as good Jews to make regular trips back to Israel to worship at the temple. Whenever, if you were physically able to make the trip, you were supposed to come uh, every year. Not that everybody did it every year, but that was one of the things you were supposed to do. And so this synagogue was put together partially to teach the word and partially to minister to people from out of town who were there trying to honor God. And what does any of that have to do with anything? I'll let you know in a minute. So last week, we see the first church committee ever formed. Uh, and just between you and me and a lot of churches, committees are kind of gotten out of hand these days. Uh, but in those days, they started a committee to take care of the widows and orphans. And there was a fight, remember we talked about this, between uh, the, the native Jewish, taking care of the native Jewish widows and orphans and the Greek-speaking widows and orphans. The Greek-speaking widows and orphans were those people who came from somewhere else and settled back in Jerusalem. So um, the, the disciple says, we can't, we can't handle this. We need to be praying and seeking the word. So find seven people that are full of faith in the Holy Spirit and put them in charge of the nuts and bolts of meeting daily 
needs, all right? And, and here are their names, Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch. Uh, Stephen was almost certainly a Greek because Stephen is not uh, a Jewish name. Some of these others might uh, also have been uh, Greek speakers. And it, it certainly makes sense that in the committee of people that were supposed to solve the problems of making sure that people from both cultures got fed and taken care of properly, you would want to put people from both cultures on the committee. Because even though you're full of faith in the Holy Spirit, if you've got a little bit of an axe to grind, if you're, you're a Greek speaker and you've got a little bit of an axe to grind against a Hebrew speaker or an Aramaic speaker, <clears throat> that could mess up the whole thing. So let's put everybody, make sure that everybody's represented. This is kind of a democratic thing. And so the church kept right on growing. They, they didn't stop. The apostles kept focusing on what they're supposed to do, be in the word and pray. And now we're going to find out ways to even take care of more people. And the church just kept right on growing. And that brings us to today's scripture. We're still in chapter 6, uh, starting with verse 8. Now, how many of you know that sometimes when things are going really, really good, um, you also need to be prepared for uh, a wheel to fall off? Not that you should be worried about it, but that you should be prepared. Because when, when something good is happening in the kingdom, the devil is going to try to disrupt it. And so the church is going really, really good, really, really good. So far, a few guys have been arrested, but then been totally set free immediately. And the church has kept right on growing. And so now, here's a significant mountain. Stephen, look at this. I love, y'all, I've kind of quit counting how many times we come across these testimonies. We're only in chapter 6. Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen, not one of the original 12, not, this is not Peter, James, and John. This is, this is, this is Stephen, who we'd never heard of before in the history of the church until this chapter. We know that he's full of grace and, and full of the Spirit because he couldn't have been elected to be a deacon if he wasn't. But how do we know that he was full of grace and the Holy Spirit? Because he's going around performing great wonders and signs among the people. He's, Stephen would be like the B team. He wasn't even a starter for the disciples. But even on the B team, people were out there laying hands. He was laying hands, ministering to people, signs and wonders being performed by his hand. But some of uh, the men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia rose up and argued with Stephen. Now, you remember that inscription I showed you at the beginning? Scholars feel reasonably certain that that little inscription that I showed you came from the synagogue of the freedmen. Now, there's no way to know 100%. Because there's a lot of debate about what this term freedman means. <clears throat> Except and once, you, once you follow all of the interesting linguistic 
debates by scholars who just goes on and on and on and on and on. And all, well, it could mean this and it could mean this, but, it, but I think it means this. Yeah, but this is more likely, blah, blah, blah. And what you come to the conclusion is that uh, the synagogue, synagogue of the freedmen was a synagogue <coughs> that was built by and for Jews from abroad. Perhaps former Roman slaves who had returned or, or our former slaves who had come to, uh, who, are, who are now free, who, who had come just to worship for the time being and were going back. Uh, but there's pretty much uniform agreement now that the synagogue of the freedmen was a place for Greek-speaking Jews who lived someplace else to come and study the word and be ministered to while they were in Jerusalem. Synagogue of the Freedmen very clearly might have been the synagogue that Theodos, Theodotus, Tutus, whatever his name was, um, that his family built. Uh, but And they were super zealous. Now, if they were from out of town, they'd missed most of what happened with Jesus, first of all. Uh, if, if they were just coming in uh, and they'd heard about this Christian thing, but it was all news to them and they didn't actually witness the, the ministry of Jesus, then they were probably at a disadvantage. And, and the fact that somebody else was going around talking about Jesus like he was something and talking about Jesus' teaching, which is weird to them, really upset them. So they started arguing with Stephen. They, they, got into, they called him out. Right? And, and honestly, this is, this is not new. Whenever you have two people and the subject of religion comes up, you have three or four points of view. <clears throat> and everybody just starts arguing. And so, and in the rabbinical style, very often the rabbis threw out ideas that, that were intended to start an argument just so that people could challenge their own assumptions and, and come to different conclusions. So the fact that they decided to confront Stephen and started arguing with him is not in itself unusual. But what they discovered was they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. In other words, they had no... They could not refute Stephen's story. We can probably imagine what Stephen's story was. Based on what we already know in the book of Acts, was Stephen talking uh, in a great deal of detail about all the theological ramifications of various Old Testament prophecies? Maybe. We'll see. He's perfectly capable of it. Uh, next week. Um, but you know that he started out by simply saying, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior of the world, died on the cross to pay for your sins. And and he healed my grandma. He healed my aunt. He healed my brother-in-law. He healed my brother-in-law's sister-in-law. Uh, he raised these four people from the dead. His, his, okay, because that's, a, listen, that's the only kind of argument that you can't cope with. As long as you just want to debate little details, 
you can debate details all day long. Well, I believe that James chapter 2, verse 6 really says this. Well, I believe it says this. And I've got a scholar that backs my position. I, I mean, you can argue all day long about details, and people can get dug in to their own positions. You don't make any sense. But there's no argument against the power of God. So I know they started arguing with him, but, but his wisdom and the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through what he was sharing, just completely blew all their arguments out of the water. They, they could not cope. They could not stand against. They could not overcome it. And so, of course, they said, well, I'm glad we had this little talk. I feel much better. No, they just got more desperate. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and they dragged him away and they brought him before the council and they put forward false witnesses who said, this man incessantly speaks against this holy place, the temple, and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. Lie, 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 and lie. You know your enemies are desperate when the only weapon they have to use is to to lie about you and pay other people to lie about you. Gosh, and people are dumb. You know, it says in Proverbs, it says, any lie repeated often enough comes to be accepted as the truth. And how many of you have ever seen, there's this thing called, I don't know, social media or something like that, where where people make statements that aren't exactly correct, but then they get passed on to one person and passed on to another person, and pretty soon everybody thinks they're true just because everybody read something and everybody saw the same thing, and so it must be true because everybody said it's true. Um, People are dumb. They just pass on. How long has fake news been around? At least since Acts chapter 6. <laughs> yeah, fake news is, I mean, it used, it used to be called gossip, right? Fake news used to be called gossip. Um, and that's all this is. But people believe whatever they want to believe. And, and I'll just stop and step out of the sermon for just a second. You need to be really careful about what you read on social media. Because the more you read that you agree with, and the less you avoid reading stuff that you don't agree with, the more likely you are to just be flat out deceived by whatever plot the enemy's going to put up with, willing to, to put over on you. We all, there's been tons of research done on this, that more and more America is, is being segregated into a, two different echo chambers. Uh, these people over here have a certain point of view, and they only talk to people that have that point of view. And it's like an echo chamber. They, I just say something that gets immediately comes right back to me. Just uh, Everybody's just saying right back to me what I want to hear. Same thing over here, which means that we have, we have turned off our brains and just completely living by our emotions. Same thing happened here. And they, put, they just lie after lie after lie after lie. 
And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. All right, so he's been dragged, he's been dragged before the court, the religious court. And all these fake news witnesses been trotted out and saying, we heard him say this. Oh, I heard him say this. Well, I said, I heard him say that he's got a whole uh, box truck full of C4, and he's going to blow up the temple. And I heard him saying, Alu Akbar. And I heard, I heard him say all sorts. Yeah, and I heard him say that your mother wears army boots. And they just were going back and forth, lie after lie after lie after lie. And they were staring at him. They were like, they weren't just staring at him like this. You know how they were staring at him, don't you? Like, just glowering. And he said, and he said this, and he said this. And, they were, and, and fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw Stephen like this. Like the face of an angel. His face like the face of an angel. What were they seeing? When they were looking at Stephen and they saw his face like the face of an angel, what were they seeing? Say louder. They were seeing the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They were seeing the Shekinah glory of God resting on Stephen. And he he was unmoved. He wasn't cowed. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't terrified. And my hunch is that at that moment, you remember back in the Old Testament uh, when uh, I think it was Elijah's servant Gehazi, they were all they were surrounded by the Assyrian army, and and Gehazi was going. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. What are we going to do? Oh, my goodness. What are we going to do? Uh, we're all going to die. Both of us. We're all going to die. Because uh, we're surrounded by this army. And, and Elijah said, Lord, open his eyes. So he opened his eyes. And the sky was just full of fiery angels with fiery swords and fiery bows and fiery arrows and fiery chariots and fiery everything. Just surrounding, uh, filling the heavens. And suddenly, Gazi was like, oh, okay, okay then, I feel better. And I think that's what Stephen was, he had his face, was reflecting the glory of God that was surrounding him at that moment. Was he in a hard, difficult situation? Was the situation dire? Was it scary? Was he convinced that God had him right where he wanted him to be? And that God was in control? And that God was faithful? And that God was going to be glorified? Yes. And that's what you saw in his face. That's what you saw in his face. So we're going to stop kind of... In the, in the middle of this story, I want to, because it, it goes on next week, and, I, and I, I want you to see how this all plays out. But um, you're walking with Jesus. Even when you're walking with the power of, 
in the power of God. Even if you're in a situation where you know that you are being held in the palm of God's hand. And you're, you're facing, facing something hard, but you're determined to take a stand. You've still got to be ready to rumble. Because the devil is not, the devil is not going to not touch you. The devil is not going to say, oh, I see that she's full of faith in the Holy Spirit, so never mind. I'll, I'll go find some 96-pound Christian and kick sand in their face. Uh, no, they, uh, the devil's going to come at you. Because um, if the devil can take you out, distract you, pull you down, move you off of your, of your faith, then he can stop a whole section of God's plan from being carried out. So the enemy is going to, and it's, maybe the enemy doesn't drop a house on you. Maybe the enemy doesn't uh, catch your house on fire. Maybe the enemy doesn't attack you in some shocking way. Maybe the enemy just starts out by getting people to lie about you, by getting people to, to stop trusting you, by getting people to, to discredit you, by getting people to not uh, want to hang out with you anymore, by separating you from people you thought you were friends. Or maybe you had people you thought were your friends and then something happened that was completely not your fault uh, and suddenly you were on the outside being shut out, criticized, rejected. That kind of st- like I said last week, strife and division is the devil's main tool to undermine the church by breaking our relationships with each other. And this is the way it happens. The enemy is going to lie to you, and then he's going to get other people to tell lies about you, and they're going to twist, twist the truth to discredit and destroy your hope and your faith and your credibility and threaten your life or threaten things that are important to you or confront you with, with losing certain things that, uh, were, that you had put your hope and your faith in. And you have a choice. You, ha- you have to be willing to suffer for the truth. But most of us, we're tempted to compromise or, or just one away because we're afraid of the consequences. You know, okay, so, so maybe I went a little bit too far by talking about Jesus being the, the Messiah. I mean, I think he's probably the Messiah. But guys, maybe, maybe he's, just because I feel like he might be the Messiah doesn't mean that you have to accept him as the Messiah. If you want to, we can all get along here. If you, if you want to look for another Messiah, that's, that's really okay with me. Uh, it's a free country. Just a little bit of compromise that ends up killing the whole message. So, so sometimes we just compromise. We, we, we know what the truth is. We know that sometimes you have to take a stand. But instead of taking a stand for truth and let the consequences be whatever they are, we kind of still want to stay popular. We still kind of want to keep our friends. We kind of want to keep our position. We kind of want to, to not be uncomfortable. And sometimes, honestly, some of y'all, you get uncomfortable anytime you say something that might make somebody else uncomfortable. So I don't like uncomfortable situations. They creep me out. So I'm just, I'm just not going to go there. Let's just, you know, let's just split the difference and say it's all, it's all good. Uh, so we're tempted to compromise. Sometimes we just run away. We just hang up. We just pack up. We just leave town. We just um, we we just get away because because now we're facing super terrible risks, or, or at least risks that w- that are threatening to us. 
uh, I just have to tell you, make up your mind now. Let's just make up our mind right now. Either Jesus is your hope or he's not. All right? Either Jesus is your hope or he's not. Either Jesus is your source or he's not. Either Jesus is your deliverer or he's not. Either Jesus is your healer or he's not. Either Jesus is your provider or he's not. Either Jesus is the center of your life or he's not. And if you want all those things about Jesus to be true for you, then sometimes it means you end up having to take a stand in ways that may almost certainly guarantee that you're going to suffer a loss. But no matter what that loss might be, you don't lose Jesus. And Jesus doesn't lose you. And as long as you are not lost, and you are still in the palm of his hand, you can survive everything else. Even if it means going into the fiery furnace. Even if it means going through what, as we all know, Stephen is going to go through next week. In the end, he, was, he never lost. Jesus never lost him. He, never, he was never lost. And that reminded me of this story from Paul, and then we'll be through. Philippians 1, 18 and 20. Beginning of the book of Philippians, we find out that Paul's in jail, facing execution. And people keep sending him these texts, like all day long, ding, 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 ding. He's getting all these texts. Paul, are you okay? Are you okay? Uh, have they executed you yet? Have you had your trial yet? I'm so worried about you, Paul. Are you, you think it's going to be all right? Um, I baked you a cake and I put a file in it. Um, and, and, and so Paul just, he's, he finally writes this, the letter to the Philippians uh, in order to answer this question where he says, yes, and I'm going to rejoice for I know that everything I'm going through right now is going to turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit. Here's the Spirit again in Philippians, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to this, my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. My, here is my earnest expectation and my hope. This is what I expect. This is what I believe. Here's what my faith is focused on. I believe that I will not be put to shame in anything. But, but I'm going to continue boldly in the path that I've been walking down. And I know that Christ will, even now, like he's always been, Christ is going to be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I live or whether I die. All I want is for whatever happens next, for Jesus to be glorified. Can you say that? Can you pray that? Can you put yourself in Stephen's position? Can you put yourself in Paul's position? Can you see yourself in any of the other positions that make you uncomfortable and frustrate you and scare you and all the things that you scramble with and are trying to manage and still say, wait, 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 wait. 
I don't want to panic here. I don't want to freak out. I don't want to compromise. I don't want to run away. I just want for Jesus to be glorified in my life. I just want Jesus to be glorified in my life. Maybe the result is that I die. Maybe the result is that I get rescued. But whether I die or whether I get rescued, I want every breath I take to glorify Jesus. I want people to see Jesus in me. And the outcome is up to him. The outcome is up to him. Can you say that? Lord, the outcome is up to you. I just, as I go through whatever I go through next, I just want people to see Jesus in me. What an awesome step in the right direction that would be. That our faith and our character and our hope and our Savior would be reflected in the way that we go through pressure and persecution and struggles of this life. That people would say, I saw Jesus in him. I saw Jesus in her. That person touched my life. Let's, let's pray. I don't know what you're going through right now. Maybe you're having a great week. Maybe you haven't had any problems in months. Maybe you're sitting on top of the world. Maybe a lot of things. Or maybe you're getting sick and tired of waking up sick and tired of something. <clears throat> the same grace, the same power from the same Holy Spirit that caused Stephen to literally glow in the dark is living in you. Will you surrender to that today? Will you surrender to Jesus today? And let his power and his love and his grace sustain you. Live for truth. Shine forth the truth. Surrender to the truth. And trust Jesus for the outcome. Lord, I pray for each life here, including mine, that you would give us courage to say yes to you when our emotions are saying, no, run away, no, run away, no, run away. Give us the courage to say yes to you and surrender to you to be in charge of the consequences. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.